Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Tholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we examined the end of the October 25, 2021 pretrial hearing, which included Judge Bruce Schrader's controversial ruling that during the trial, the men shot by Rittenhouse may under certain circumstances be referred to as rioters, looters, and arsonists, but never as victims. On today's episode, we'll begin to take a look at jury selection in the trial paying close attention to Judge Schrader's method and style of guiding that process, as well as to Prosecutor Thomas Binger's voir dire tactics and his strategy. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Anticipating a lengthy jury selection process, lawyers for both sides urged Judge Schrader to send questionnaires to candidates in advance of this hearing. Jury questionnaires are commonly used in high-profile trials to help the court eliminate potential jurors for bias. However, Schrader denied their request, simply stating that each side would be allowed to strike seven people from the jury pool following the voir dire. Voir dire, French for to speak the truth, is the process by which the parties in a trial select a fair and impartial jury. Judge Schrader has laid out a process where 300 potential jurors were called to the Kenosha courthouse. On November 1st, 2021, approximately 150 people show up. About 80 are seated in Schrader's courtroom. The rest are seated in another room in the building and watch the questioning of the first panel by closed circuit TV. Of the 80 potential panelists in the courtroom, 34 are seated in the jury box. Judge Schrader begins the November 1st voir dire by addressing those 34 people, recounting the defendant's charges and summarizing the events that occurred on August 25th, 2020. The judge will repeat this process after the jury is impaneled, and in the interest of efficiency, we will examine that presentation for you in our next episode. Schrader then transitions into his distillation of the prosecution's case against Rittenhouse, summarizing how the charges relate to the facts that the state hopes to prove. I'm going to give you some of what the the, uh, complaint alleges, um, because the information is a formal statement of the charge, but there's more of the district attorney's factual uh, assertions contained in the complaint. And it is alleged that um, on the night in question, there was a good deal of public unrest in, in the central area of the city of Kenosha. And it is alleged that uh, the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, was in Kenosha at that time, that he was armed with a rifle, and that also in the city at that particular time, 
were um, Joseph Rosenbaum, uh, jo- uh, Richard McGinnis, this unknown person who was referred to in the third count, Anthony Huber, and Gage Grosskreutz, and that in the, during the course of the evening, there was a, a period when there was close contact between Mr. Rosenbaum and the defendant, and the district attorney alleges that uh, the, it ended with the defendant firing a bullet or firing a series of bullets, uh, one of which brought about the death of Mr. Rosenbaum. Uh, with respect to um, Mr. McGinnis, he was in the close proximity of the, sh- the incident which, uh, in the, which that gunfire uh, occurred and that his, his, the district attorney claims that his safety was endangered by that. After that incident, it is alleged by the district attorney that Mr. Rittenhouse started moving northbound on Sheridan Road. And the incident, by the way, involving Mr. Uh, Rosenbaum is uh, alleged to have occurred down at 63rd and Sheridan in a, in a place called the Car Source. And then after that, it is alleged that Mr. Rittenhouse walked, was walking down the center of the Sheridan Road, northbound. And at one point, there were other people in the street who appeared to be in pursuit. The district attorney claims in his complaint that uh, Mr. Rittenhouse uh, stumbled and fell. And uh, then there were a series of people who came into close proximity with him. And uh, that at that point, he began firing at three of them, the unknown person, uh, Mr. Grosskreutz, first next Mr. Uh, Huber, and then Mr. Uh, Grosskreutz, and that uh, he missed his shot or shots uh, involving the unknown person. Mr. Huber was fatally struck, and Mr. Grosskreutz uh, was uh, sustained a, a gunshot wound. And um, that's what the case is about. We might as well ask now, is there anybody who's read or heard, is there anybody who hasn't read or heard anything about this case? Okay, now I'm going to give you another talk now. Schrader next offers the potential panelists his assessment of the responsibilities they will assume if they are selected as jurors in the trial. This is about our Constitution. A thousand years ago, a case like this would have been tried, well, let's go back even further. Let's go back to the, I'm sure you remember it, the fall of Rome in 476. And you're here because the founders of our country didn't trust me. They didn't trust any judge. They knew the abuses that had occurred, even under, even with the jury system, they uh, knew the abuses which occurred under judges who were appointed by the king. So they were hand-selected and they were still responsible to the king to get paid or I should say the king was responsible to them, to pay them. So they, they felt that there was way too much uh, influence on the judiciary to trust de- decisions of this magnitude, deciding a case like this that should not be entrusted to judges. That should be decided by the people themselves. That's a system that's lasted 225 years. We're the oldest democracy in the world, in part because we have this important check on the government, which is trial by jury. That's why you're here. What goes with that is that you have, there's something else. So that the, let me start over. 
the founders of our country were very firm about what was going to go into that Bill of Rights that was passed at the first Congress. And one of the ingredients was trial by jury. They wanted to protect that. It's in the Constitution, the basic law of this country. And it was carried over into the states so that both under the federal and the state constitution, people have a right to a trial by jury. And that's why you're here today. They put another provision in the Constitution entitled, well, it's, the title isn't important. It is for a fair and impartial jury. That's an obligation that they imposed on you. These are people who had risked everything, their lives, as they said themselves in the Declaration of Independence, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. So they, they specified a fair and impartial jury, not just a jury that's going to be motivated by one influence of another. This case has become very political. It was involved in the politics of the last election year. It, to this day, you can go out, you could go out now and read things from all across the political spectrum about this case, most of which is written by people who know nothing. I don't mean that, that there are no nothings. I mean that they don't know what you're going to know, those of you who are selected for this jury, who are going to hear for yourselves the real evidence in this case. But there are, there's something called the First Amendment. That's another part of our Constitution where they guarantee the right of a free press. And it's the price we pay for having a free press is a lot of irresponsible and sloppy journalism. Schrader concludes his presentation and begins screening the potential jurors for bias. Is there anybody in that back row who feels that he or she will be unable to disregard entirely everything you've heard, everything you've seen about the case, any pictures you've seen, any videos you've seen, anything at all you've heard, anyone who cannot disregard all of that and decide solely on the evidence which is offered in this trial? Anybody? At least seven of the potential panelists raised their hands on this question. However, rather than question these jurors in detail, Judge Schrader pivots to another question. People who might be witnesses in the case or whose names might be mentioned in the testimony, you're going to hear these names. I'm going to ask the lawyers to read them in groups of about 10, but you're not going to hear from all these people at the trial, not even close. You're probably going to hear right now about 200 names of people, uh, but uh, only a fraction of those will actually be testifying at the trial. But we want to make sure that we cover everybody who could theoretically come in as a witness or more likely whose name might get mentioned. So... That's the, the issue now. Each side then reads their respective lists of witnesses that they might call, nearly 200 names in all. Jurors are asked to raise a hand if they know one of the possible witnesses. When a juror raises his or her hand, it is noted for later follow-up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After the reading of the witness lists is completed, Judge Schrader then returns to General Vardir and addresses some of the individuals who raised their hands during his initial screening question. 
The judge excuses for cause some but not all of the individuals who say that they have formed an opinion on guilt in the case. About 10 of these potential panelists are let go, most of whom expressed a prejudice that Kyle Rittenhouse was guilty. The judge then invites prosecutor Thomas Binger to address the potential panelists. Binger takes the lectern. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tom Binger. I'm one of the prosecutors on the case here uh, representing the state of Wisconsin. The judge has given you a little bit of information regarding the circumstances surrounding this case, and I just want to ask a few questions regarding the events uh, surrounding uh, the night of August 25th, 2020. Uh, and that time period here in Kenosha. I think we're all familiar with the incident on Sunday night, August 23rd, 2020, in which a Kenosha police officer shot a black man by the name of Jacob Blake. There were a series of responses here in our community, uh, which can be labeled a number of different ways. But in generally, we had a lot of people that came out onto the streets protesting. There were, there were riots, there was arson, there was looting. There were a lot of things going on. And I don't want to get into which side or which beliefs were right or wrong or anything like that. Uh, There are constitutional rights to assemble and speech, et cetera. What I just want to ask is, how many of you came out physically on any of those nights to participate in any of those activities, to protest, to uh, show your uh, support for any particular cause, anything along those lines? I'm not seeing any hands. How many of you have any uh, close friends or family members who came out on any of those nights to participate in any of those events? Maybe to march, maybe to protest, maybe to support one side, one cause, one belief or the other. And again, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot about what your beliefs are. I just need to know if there was any participation. None of the prospective jurors participated in the protests or counter-protests surrounding Jacob Blake's shooting. Several had friends or relatives who participated, but there is only one individual who is excused for cause based on her statement that her granddaughter participated in the protests, and she says that fact makes her unable to be fair and impartial. Prosecutor Binger moves on to another series of questions aimed at eliciting bias of a different kind. In addition to a lot of the publicity that has been out there about this case, there have also been some efforts made to... uh, raise money to support the defendant. And there have been some websites that have been uh, created where people can purchase merchandise with his name on it. They can donate uh, to his uh, family or to his legal defense fund or whatever the case may be. Is there anyone here who has done any of that to support the defendant in this case? Is there anyone who knows anyone, friends, family members, anyone who has done that to support the defendant in this case? I'm not seeing any hands. Okay, thank you. Binger's voir dire questioning is surprisingly limited, lasting just over an hour. This is especially significant given that there was no jury screening by questionnaire. We will be sure to revisit Binger's voir dire strategy as well as Judge Schrader's jury selection process during our weekly recap. And so that concludes this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we explore the voir dire strategy and tactics of defense attorney Corey Sharafasi, as well as Judge Schrader's preliminary instructions to the impaneled jurors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Mackenzie Moser. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Korenik. And it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. And trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.